0: Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl.
1: All right, welcome to our business podcast where we cover business legal news and answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to our email address, which is the following. Go ahead, Matt. What is it? <laughs> By the way, I guarantee you Matt doesn't know what it is. Now I got it. Ask...
2: At com. Okay, you got it. Okay, well, my name's Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub, and I don't think I actually even have access to that email. So <laughs> now that I think about it, so you're the one that looks at all the... Who knows what emails we're getting other than you?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I try to keep that to myself
2: for my uh, guilty pleasure reading before I go to bed. Extreme screening process that you do for everything we get. But. <laughs> Uh, what do we have? Oh, we got something I know you're going to like today. Is it about pizza? No, it's not about pizza, but it is about one of the topics that are highly talked about on this podcast. So we're combining a few things here. We've got in a, a dispute between Lyft and Uber. Oh, nice. I know you are anti-Uber, and I think this is actually going to probably make it worse for you because... Worse or better?
1: I, I think it's going to be more support for... Like, people are going to join my cause after this today's, you know?
2: Um, Yeah, I'm saying you're going to dislike Uber more after this as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the former, I need to get this guy's name too, because he had a pretty awesome name. I want to make sure I find it before I get into the story. Travis Vander Zanden. Yeah. Great name. So he's the former COO of Lyft, and now Lyft is suing him for a breach of confidentiality There's confidentiality agreement and then a breach of fiduciary duty. So basically, he was a CEO of Lyft, so pretty high up, exec. And he's being accused of essentially taking all this confidential information from Lyft before he then went to Uber. So a few things that he's done here that are obviously all accusations, so I don't want to say he's done it or not. but Downloading non-public documents to his personal Dropbox before leaving. So we're talking confidential strategic product plans, financial info, forecast, growth data, I guess they had a meeting set up right before he was about to leave on, a, I believe, on a Friday and about his resignation. He canceled the meeting last minute and then went home and backed up a number of emails and confidential documents to his home computer and cell phone. Oh, man. Synced personal Dropbox to the company for up to three months out. So those are a few of the things. I'm sure there's more than that, but... Obviously, it's accusations, but but the problem with this is that Lyft hired someone to like go back and look what happened, and like that's how they know this this happened because they can look at his computer and see that he pulled this information from his work computer, work phone, and and synced it up to his personal account. So, not looking good for old Vander Zanden. Gosh, there's so many issues
1: here. Well, one thing I was looking at the complaint. This is filed in California. Oh yeah, they have only named him as the defendant. So Uber has yet to be included in that. And I say yet because either it's a strategic decision not to include them or they don't have the prerequisite fact allegations to do so. I would even imagine that after once this is filed now, they can start doing discovery. And I don't know what his position is at Uber. I mean, he was COO of Lyft and now he's going to Uber. How does that confidential information not fall in the hands of Uber? to not be included in the lawsuit. So maybe they wanted to do discovery to see if that's actually the case and see what culpability, if any, Uber may have in this. I don't know. But one thing that you mentioned was that they requested him to sign an agreement to turn over confidential information, which seems strange to me. If he had a confidentiality agreement already, most of those, it's pretty boilerplate actually, is to include a provision that after the employment's over, especially if the confidentiality agreement's connected to that, that the employee would turn over all confidential information back to the company and destroy all the copies that they have. But some of these files that are alleged to have been taken include like profit and loss statements and internal processes and pretty heavy stuff.
2: Yeah, it basically looked like he swiped or just took everything that he could, just like a smash and grab. But there a virtual smash and grab where he just <laughs> ran it and just starts taking stuff at a furious pace and runs out with everything they have. Because if you look at what Lyft is asking for in terms of relief, it's a ton of different injunctions.
1: Yeah, it's almost comical, right? I mean, uh, as much as we represent clients that want to be very protective and even aggressive in, with competition, I know this is just one individual, but again, it's another association of Uber. And like, you're right. I mean, it's it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Like there's no reason for business to be conducted in such a way. You know, the non-solicitation of employees is interesting, too, because a lot of people think that, okay, non-competes in California, especially for employees, are very, if not impossible to enforce unless they're connected to trade secrets. And even then, it's very narrowly tailored. The non-solicitation of coworkers or employees from your previous employer That is enforceable. That's a different kind of non-solicit. That's not a non-solicitation of customers. That's a non-solicitation of employees. So that's actually uh, generally enforceable if drafted correctly. And so it makes you wonder, it seems like they have a very, who knows if this actually guy is, is liable for all this, but they seem to be very detailed with how this person actually tried to solicit and in some ways successfully solicit employees of Lyft to come over to Uber. Really just almost frustrating to hear.
2: I just looked this guy up, by the way. So his position with Uber is vice president of international growth. Wow. So that's something. But he just... This is real time. This is a live update. In the last hour, he's posted all these things on his Twitter that actually... He only has 610 followers. So I guess this could actually not be him. But uh, all the facts will come out. But I wanted to clear up the misinformation and protect against the audacious attack on my reputation.
1: I probably would have said it a thing, but... (laughs) I can't not say it now because just looking at him, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it
2: is, but his photo—if you guys just look—it almost seems like he—he's the type of guy that would do this. It's funny you say that because I'm not kidding. I thought the exact same thing. I searched him on Google and looked at images to see what he looked like, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't like to pass judgment on people I've never met, but especially based upon a looks and and a, and a Twitter yeah, profile just picture. Solely but, based on looks. See, I don't know, so we'll see what happens with this, but it's definitely, it seems like they have some pretty good evidence on him, so... Yeah,
1: well, let's just put it this way, that he's lucky that courts don't consider the image of a person as being any kind of evidence of their character. (laughs) Yeah. But, anyway. It's
2: funny, too, if you scroll down on his Twitter feed, he's got all these posts about you know when he was with Lyft, obviously. And so oh, that's odd. Those are still on there. So maybe it wasn't too long ago, then, it seems like, huh? Yeah. You should use Lyft. This was December
1: 31st. Oh, that was a while ago, but yeah, interesting, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the reality. You're going to have employees that jump ship, but it is what it is, I guess.
2: We've talked about this before. I mean, I think we've said you can do everything in your power, and you have can have all the agreements in place to prevent this from happening, but the best thing you can do is try to cut off access as soon as you legally can. Because if someone wants to steal stuff, they're going to steal it. That's yeah. just how it is. It's office space.
1: Well, here's something interesting, and it looks like this is what his defense is going to be. Is He says, just to be crystal clear, and this was an hour ago, obviously this is a pretty hot topic um, coming out in the news right now. Just to be crystal clear, I did not take any confidential data to Uber. So now, depending upon what the confidentiality agreement says, obviously we already know that it likely doesn't say that he was supposed to return the confidential data keeping the confidential data for his records and his own use only is i suppose not against the contract agreement depending on what it says but then i would argue well look you are a senior management officer or vice president of whatever at direct competitor how can you not use that confidential information for those purposes and even that i think is defensible too because you can't erase his brain right but the question is, is he going back home and referring to it and making strategic decisions based upon it?
2: That has implications as well. Sounds like you're getting back on the Uber bandwagon.
1: No, I'm defending him as an individual. I think he looks like he did it. <laughs> I'm joking about that, but uh, he seems to be adamantly defending himself. And there's always two sides of the story, as we always know, especially when it yeah. comes to this kind of stuff. One of the things that I also know is that when you have an employee that leaves and takes data, and does something like this. I don't know what it is, but every time I've experienced this, there's always a culture problem too associated with that company. I'm telling you, people aren't as vindictive to their employers when they leave in such a fashion if there was more of a positive culture. And it's just a frank argument that that's what happens in the real world, is is that it doesn't matter what you put in paper, unless you have an environment which is more positive this stuff's going to happen all the time
2: yeah and i guess this this pretty hot topic this was at the time we're recording it he lawsuit it was filed yesterday so oh okay we'll find out more once i guess he answers. but yeah
1: cutting edge stuff here at legally sound smart business even though it's coming out later but
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'll be old news by the time this comes out but that's fine All right, let's get to our question of the day
1: before the day's over.
2: Question of the day before this goes out of style or out of topic. Copyrights are going to go out of style soon. (laughs) (laughs) What is some good advice to avoid copyright infringement issues? That's a pretty loaded question. Yeah, stop copying people. That's what you start (laughs) with. Yeah, I mean, it's register your copyright. That's a good start.
1: Well, it depends. I don't know what they mean by... Basically, they want to avoid getting into copyright infringement issues. I think infringing on other people, right? Yeah, that's what I got out of it. Yeah. I think a lot of times where that happens unintentionally. Obviously, if you're just plagiarizing and copying stuff on the internet, then that's one way to start, but a lot of times when it happens unintentionally is if you have other people working for you that are, you know, whether they're content producers, whether they're somewhere in the creative field where they're using images for your website or whatever, or you have third parties submitting content to you that's when stuff happens, you know? And so if you have a website, for example, where their content is being submitted by the users, you do have some safe harbor provisions, but you do have to make sure that you comply with a DMCA request and so forth. And I think we've talked about in the past, and Mac, you can probably speak more to that. But secondarily is that when you hire independent contractors or employees that produce content for you, you have to go above and beyond to make sure that that content that they're using is either produced by them and that you own the rights to it and not grab somewhere else on the internet, which is very common when you hire a web developer or what have you. I even suggest if the web developer has images that they want to use, that you purchase them directly so that you know that you own the rights and that you have a record for it so that if down the line a year from now that that publisher says, hey, you're using our copyright." or you're infringing upon our copyright. Where did you get this image? You can reference it and, and be able to justify it.
2: You know, it's all about taking the correct precautions up front. And accidents happen too, I suppose. And it gets a little bit different if you were relying on someone and they give you an image that you thought they had the rights to and they don't. Yeah. Different things come into play. But I guess from the defense perspective, it's just be smart about it. And I don't know what else to really say that you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Maybe register your uh, DMC agent with the copyright office. That's that's something different.
1: That's weird. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that's that's one idea. Is that if you have people that are submitting content that you register DMC agent, basically you register with the copyright, and so they know who to notice. But the problem with that is that you do have to maintain that. So if you hire a third party agent, which is probably the best way to do it, especially if you're getting a lot of requests, then do that. But if you're doing it yourself, then you have to make sure that it's the contact information is updated because. If things change and then the notice goes there and, you know, you don't do anything about it, then that safe harbor provision could be removed and you could become liable. So keep that in mind too. But that's good advice though.
2: All right. Is that it?
1: Uh, No, let's just sit here for a little bit longer. Just dead time, (laughs) dead air. (laughs) Instead of just actually waiting for dead time, Chris, can you just add like 10 minutes of dead time to the end of this episode? That'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to actually sit here for 10 minutes in silence. All right. But well, thanks for joining us, everyone. And don't forget to leave some positive reviews to iTunes. I know you guys are listening, but then you, you also have to support us too. And this is how we make our big bucks is with every positive iTunes reviews, we get a billion dollars. And so far we've gotten only like $20 billion. So we need some help. We need those numbers to increase.
2: All right. Keep it sound. Keep it smart.
0: This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.